Well, church, welcome. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We're going to be reading from uh, verse 1 to verse 35. So Acts chapter 15. And as you're turning there, uh, as we're going through the book of Acts, uh, we're going to be looking today uh, at spirit-filled gospel partnership. Churches striving side by side together for the gospel. A healthy church pursues partnership through accountability, fellowship, and mission. A healthy church pursues partnership through accountability, fellowship, and mission. So we see this pattern throughout the book of Acts of shared accountability, shared fellowship, and shared mission. So Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Saul, Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done, done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. From, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, 
and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to come to you as your sons and daughters to pray that you would give us ears to hear your word, that you would give us faith to respond as you speak to us. In triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you from eternity past that you exist in perfect union, a perfect partnership with any, without any sin, without any weaknesses, without any flaws. Jesus, you died to make us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. And Holy Spirit, you have given us life in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you, triune God, for the gift of gospel partnership. Help us as a church to pursue accountability and fellowship and mission, first within our own local church body and then with other faithful local churches. Help us to be more faithful to you, more faithful to your word, to the gospel, to our Savior, Jesus, through gospel partnership. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 15 is midway through the book of Acts, which has 28 chapters. And throughout the book of Acts, the gospel expands outward, starting from Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and now on its way to the end of the earth. But this explosive growth has led to an explosive problem. The, the church began as a group of Jewish believers, but then it expanded to include Gentiles. Some of the Jewish believers wanted the Gentiles to convert to Judaism, to become Jews. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. These men said, well, following Jesus and trusting in his finished work isn't enough. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to, the you also have to follow the Mosaic law. 
We know Jesus fulfilled the Mosaic law, the sacrifices. He is that once for all sacrifice that puts away, that does away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. No other sacrifices are needed to deal with sin. But this does raise another question, an important question. What about all those other Old Testament laws? As a Christian, do you have to be circumcised? Do you have to follow those Jewish dietary laws found in the Old Testament? Are you allowed to eat pork or not? Do you have to celebrate certain feasts and festivals? Well, certain men said, yes, you still have to keep these laws. You still have to be circumcised and keep all these other dietary and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. In other words, they were saying, unless you become Jewish, you can't be saved. And that's the problem we see in Acts chapter 15. And how would this problem be resolved? How did Paul and Barnabas resolve this issue? Would Gentiles have to become Jewish before they could become Christians? So let's look at verse 2. Follow along. Chapter 15, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. There was no small debate and dissension. What a reminder that doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. Right doctrine and right living lead to eternal life, while wrong doctrine and wrong living lead to eternal death, eternal destruction. No other issue was more pressing and urgent to the church than to clarify the gospel and make sure the church had the right answer to this question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What would the answer be? How would the church address this doctrinal conflict? And this problem brings me to my first point. A healthy church pursues partnership through accountability. A healthy church pursues partnership through accountability. Accountability. The church in Antioch didn't just decide on its own to forge ahead and decide the correct doctrine. They needed the input and voices of others. But the church at Antioch also didn't just sit back passively and just take whatever they heard. They knew what the gospel was, and this smelled fishy. This smelled funny. This seemed wrong. They weren't a lone ranger church, and they weren't going to be bullied. So they arrive in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas and others. Let's look at verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. It's fascinating that these people who belong to the party of the Pharisees, they're described by Luke, the author of Acts, as believers, people who belong to the church. Reminds us that the people in the church can and do make mistakes. And again, that's why we need accountability. That's why we need one another. So the two sides are presented, and in verse 7, we see that there was much debate. Then Peter recounts what God did in Acts chapter 15. He preaches the gospel to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. 
Cornelius is a Gentile, not a Jew. And then he showed that God saved them, Cornelius and his household and his friends. He saved them by giving them the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, verse 9, and he made no, this is God, God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works of the law, not by keeping the Mosaic law. Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And that ends the debate. The assembly goes silent. Enough said, mic drop. James speaks last and then references the prof a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Amos. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. This is God speaking. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Through the prophets, God tells us, God tells his church that one day the Gentiles will be brought into the kingdom, a prophecy that's being fulfilled before the church's very eyes. At the end of the speech, James proposes a way forward, a letter with two parts. In the first part, we see that there's no need no need to keep the law of Moses. No need to be circumcised. We are saved by grace through faith. In the second part, James teaches the Gentile Christians how to live with their Jewish brethren. He teaches the Gentiles not to abuse their freedom to pursue sin. James forbids, forbids them from sexual immorality. That's sex outside the covenant of marriage, which is defined as between one man and one woman. And as a side note, our culture, just like the Roman culture, rips apart sex and marriage, but God created them to be together. But that's not all. The Gentiles shouldn't use their freedom to be a stumbling block. Gentiles might have the freedom, they might possess the freedom to eat food sacrificed to idols, right? An idol is just a dead, lifeless object. But many Jewish Christians would have had a conscience that was trained to teach them to avoid idols and temples and food sacrificed to idols. For the Jewish brethren, it would have been a violation of the second commandment, which forbids idolatry. For the Jewish brethren, it is a sin in their own minds to eat food sacrificed to idols. So out of love for their Jewish brethren, the Gentiles should refrain and restrain their freedom so that the Jewish believers won't be tempted to violate their own conscience and sin. So they won't be tempted to think, oh, you Gentiles are eating that food sacrificed to idols. Well, we can do that too and end up sinning against God. Church, this is the beauty of gospel partnership through shared accountability. Through shared accountability. Working together, these churches, they clarified the gospel. Yes, we're saved by grace, through faith, not by law-keeping. Working together, these churches clarified how to do multi-ethnic ministry. Working together, they produced doctrinal standards, which means that the opposite of these standards would be false doctrine. Church, 
are you trusting in Christ alone for the salvation of your sins? Do you enjoy the freedom from the crushing burden of having to earn your own salvation? Well, you and I enjoy these things because of gospel partnership in the first century. We wouldn't have these truths without gospel partnership, without churches working together to clarify the gospel and to protect the gospel. So thank God that churches pursued partnership through doctrinal accountability. But this truth isn't just an academic exercise. If you haven't yet come to faith in Jesus for life, for salvation, you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, that this very day, this very hour could be your last. Our life is a breath. It's a puff of smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So turn to Jesus today. Seek his forgiveness from sins today. Cry out to him to save you today. God is rich in mercy to all who call upon his name. So what does this accountability through partnership look like for our local church? We as your pastors are accountable through our partnership in Sovereign Grace churches. We have a statement of faith and a book of church order. Our statement of faith is what we believe, our doctrinal standards as a denomination. The book of church order is like an instruction manual for our denomination. It answers questions such as, who's qualified to be a pastor? And how are pastors removed if they're disqualified? So that means if I or another pastor in Sovereign Grace start teaching false doctrine, such as everyone is saved, whether or not they trust in Jesus, that the resurrection didn't happen, or hell doesn't exist, which are all errors that other churches have unfortunately taught, there's a judicial process to remove a pastor. If I or another pastor violate our marriage vows, or we're negligent in our pastoral duties, or we're accused of abuse or misconduct, we have a way to pursue biblical justice and due process. Our partnership in Sovereign Grace keeps our life and doctrine more faithful to God's word. We believe we're stronger together as a church and as a denomination because of our shared accountability. It's important at this point to note that we realize no partnership is perfect, just as no church is perfect. But we press on through our partnership because we need both accountability and protection. But it's not just shared accountability. A healthy church pursues partnership through fellowship. We pursue partnership through fellowship in addition to accountability. Our shared values, our shared convictions, our shared doctrine lead to shared life and ministry. This has happened to all of us. You meet someone and you realize you share something in common. Maybe you move out of the Philadelphia area and you meet another Eagles fan. Maybe you and the person you just meet, you like the same movies. My wife and I, we love Middle Earth token movies. We love Marvel movies. Maybe you both have a special needs family member or child. You don't know much else about the other person, but there's an instant connection. And that's what the gospel does. 
Jesus bonds us. He draws us together. Our shared love for our Savior is the glue which holds us together as a church body. In John 17, Jesus prays that we would all be one, just as God the Father and God the Son are one. That means Jesus has united us to one another because we are united to him, and now we must maintain the unity, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we see this shared fellowship serve as bookends to ch- Acts chapter 15. On the way to Jerusalem, notice what Paul and Barnabas do. They haven't even arrived there to resolve this doctrinal conflict. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. There's shared joy because of shared life, shared ministry which comes from our shared convictions. After the Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas return to the church they were sent out from, the church in Antioch, and they enjoyed a time of shared fellowship. Let's look at chapter 15, verses 30 to 32. Let's skip to the end of this chapter. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. We notice here that it's not just Paul and Barnabas, but it's Judas and Silas, prophets from the Jerusalem church. So we have members from the Jerusalem church and members from the Antioch church doing life and ministry together. They were teaching one another, encouraging one another, making disciples together. Church, that's what shared fellowship, a shared life looks like. And that's a pattern all throughout the book of Acts. We've already mentioned the famine relief efforts from Acts chapter 11, where predominantly Gentile churches helped the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem during a time of great need. In the book, Churches Partnering Together, the authors point out that this collection was a project 10 years in the making. 10 years. Paul spent 10 years during his early ministry planting churches, networking, building trust, and then securing relief for the church in Jerusalem. We see that shared fellowship, shared life in ministry isn't a side gig for Paul. Shared fellowship between churches was an important, it was an important gospel implication. If Jesus died for those people, and fill in the blank, whether it's Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, then they belong to us as well. So what does this shared fellowship look like for us? What does shared fellowship look like? In Sovereign Grace churches, we have a statement of faith, but also seven shared values. These shared convictions provide the foundation for our gospel partnership. The first one on that list is that we're gospel-centered. Gospel-centered in preaching, in life, in ministry. This means that the good news of Jesus Christ, his life and his death, his resurrection for the salvation of sinners, that is the source 
and center for who we are as a church. Our source and center isn't social programs. It isn't social justice, as important as those things are. We exist to proclaim Christ and Him crucified, to make disciples of all nations. We have six other shared values, so you can Google Sovereign Grace Churches and seven shared values later on this week, not right now, to find out more. Through our partnership in Sovereign Grace Churches, we as a local church benefit from the teaching, from the encouragement, and even the music produced from our denomination. Sovereign Grace Music produces wonderful, gospel-rich, and beautiful music. Many of the songs we sing from week to week come from our partnership through Sovereign Grace Churches. Your pastors are encouraged through gifted leaders at the regional and national level. The pastor's conference this past year was canceled, but normally we receive teaching and encouragement, which refreshes us to come back and serve our local churches with renewed faith. But we also have the joy of connecting with other churches outside of Sovereign Grace. Uh, we pray regularly with other pastors in this area. Uh, we join with other churches, such as Fresh Anointing Christian Center and Drexel Hill Church, for the Delco-wide Prayer and Praise Summit, and for food distribution for those in need. So a healthy church pursues partnership through accountability, through fellowship, and now finally through mission. A healthy church pursues partnership through accountability, fellowship, and mission. We partner with other Sovereign Grace churches because no church is omnicompetent to carry out the Great Commission. We can do more together than we can do on our own. A few years ago, our region planted a church in Frankfurt up in, the northeast, up in northeast Philadelphia. And this is a church pastored by Stephen Bowne. This is a community desperately in need of the gospel. And on top of that, afflicted by poverty, addiction, and crime. During the pandemic, we helped this church purchase hundreds of backpacks filled with school supplies so that Grace City Church in Frankfurt could bless their neighbors. But our gospel partnership reaches far beyond this area. What a joy it was for us to send out Joal and Samora Bain to plant Grace Family Church in Jamaica. Tim and Gaylene provide ongoing encouragement, care, and advice to Mario and Jen Vucenovic in Croatia. These are our church planters in Eastern Europe. A few months ago, our friends Mario and Jen suffered the loss of Jen's mother who lives in this area. Tim was able to coordinate funding from several Sovereign Grace churches, including our own, to fly their family back here to the States before Jen's mom passed away. Without pulling support together, literally overnight, they would have been stuck in Croatia. Praise the Lord for provision through gospel partnership. These are just a few examples of how your giving to Risen Hope impacts places as far away as Croatia and Jamaica and Thailand and Zambia and as near as Frankfurt, Northeast Philadelphia. We stay committed to this partnership because we're committed to churches throughout the world who have less access to pastoral and financial resources, and we're committed to not letting them down. Those with more have a God-given 
joy and obligation to share with those with less. But this partnership is a two-way street. A couple weeks ago, we found out that Sovereign Grace would be giving us, our local church, a gift of $15,000 towards our building fund. Praise God for the joy of co-laboring on mission together with other like-minded churches who love Risen Hope, who love what we're doing and want to see us succeed and thrive in our new location. As I wrap things up, we want to show you a 10-minute video that highlights our shared global mission together as a denomination. So we're going to now transition to this video update. Wow! What an amazing report. How gracious of our God to use our small denomination to reach the end of the earth with the gospel. All glory be to Christ. Partnership is not about accumulating power or prestige, but laboring, laboring side by side, doing more together and holding one another accountable. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation turns a church inward and away from sound judgment. And that's why we're committed to spirit-filled partnership in Sovereign Grace churches and pursue shared accountability, shared fellowship, and shared mission. May the Lord use the gift of partnership to keep us more faithful, to keep us strong in Christ. And let me close with these words from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.